Hey guys, welcome back. Today we're going to discuss why it seems like most people are content to simply survive rather than live the life they want. Thank you guys. Welcome back. We got another question here. If you guys have a question for me, animus at animusempire.com. This one from a listener and he asked, why are people simply content to survive rather than get their needs met, really thrive, really live the life that they want. He has a few examples here. He has a 75-year-old uncle who lives alone and almost died. And I guess he has money and access to better resources. So he's just sitting on this money. He's not spending it. Why isn't he spending this money so he can live a better life, you know, get access to uh, to uh, better resources? He sees grandparents who, when they visit their grandkids, just sit around and watch television, tune out on their screens rather than spend time with their grandchildren and then he also give the example of, I don't know if he knew somebody. Yeah, I think maybe he knew somebody who, who may have had cancer. And rather than go to the doctor to find out whether he had cancer, he chose to just ignore it and not find out. Why would somebody do this? Why would somebody submit to a maladaptive relationship with reality? You know, what possible benefit could they get from not engaging with reality in a helpful way? I think this is something that we've talked about uh, you know, time and again here, but I think it's an important concept that we all deal with, that we all deal with, and we never stop dealing with it. And this is going to be part of the answer here is even though we think we may have dealt with this issue that I'm going to talk about, none of us really have. And, you know, I, I, I think I'm really smart here and I have all these great ideas. And I do. I do have all these great ideas and it helps, but it still amazes me to the to the extent that I can fall. I can fall prey to this idea to uh, yeah, just being okay with surviving and not thriving, even though I know the mechanism behind it and how it affects you. It's amazing. And what we're talking about here is the, the fact that if somebody says that they want something, they may not actually want that thing. To put it simply, and maybe this is a little glib, but we want more than one thing one things we don't really want the thing that we say they want that we say that we want so there are other things where we're pulled by other goals that we may not really know are ultimately goals right they're unconscious goals i mean this is a great example of when a guy says i mean i've never not seen this when a guy says my goal is to get a girlfriend or let's say he's 28 now and at 23 he said he made the goal to get a girlfriend now he's 28 and he hasn't found a girlfriend in the past five years and he asked, you know, what's going on? <laughs> I said I wanted a girlfriend. I made a goal. Maybe I affirmed it. He listened to some mindset bros and he put it out in the universe. But it didn't happen. And then you ask him, you know, how many girls have you asked out in the last five years? And you can count them on, on one hand. So at a certain point, you have to wonder, did you really want a girlfriend? Yes, of course. And I'm not trying to gaslight anybody here. If you say you want a girlfriend and you don't have one, you probably still want a girlfriend. But you probably want something else more, something else that you're not aware of. You know, by definition, if you say you want a girlfriend, but you don't have one, then there's something else pulling you. or There's at least something else there, there sucking your energy. So you can't, uh, you know, put that libido, and I mean that psychically and sexually, put that libido out there in the world in a healthy way. You know, there must be something you uh, pulling you down, and, and usually... What happens with uh, guys who, for example, say they want a girlfriend but then don't get one, is they they want um, to be protected. 
right? Getting a girlfriend is great and there's a lot of positive things that come with it. But there's also some negative things too. And one of those negative things that comes with getting a girlfriend is now you need to look at yourself more. That's what women are, right? They show up in their mirrors to who we are. You got a girlfriend and now you see yourself for what you are more than you ever could have on your own by nature of the fact, by, by nature of what your mind is and how it developed, I would argue. I think there's many ways that made us develop the larger brains that we have and even that uh, what made us go from having the brains that we have to getting a consciousness, right? Those are not one and the same thing. Uh, the, the, um, there's many steps, but one of those steps that never would have happened unless we were able to form the social attachments that we do. So you're going to see yourself more, more clearly with a girlfriend around. So yeah, you want a girlfriend, but also you want to protect yourself. So what's really going on when somebody says that they wanted a girlfriend, but never got one, is they did get exactly what they wanted. They, they wanted to protect themselves. They wanted to isolate. They wanted to um, take away any potential pain that comes with self-awareness. Self-awareness and pain is usually uh, synonymous. And this is what we talk about here, the secondary emotional payoff. Right? When you manage your emotions, there's a primary emotional payoff there. If, if you uh, have anger, if you, if you have unmanaged anger, maybe some resentment, hostility, or you have stored up anger and sadness, that's a sign that you need to get your needs met. That's what it's telling you to do. I don't know what needs. I don't know how, how specific. I don't know how uh, big, you know, broad concept, how uh, big idea those needs are, how seemingly small or seemingly significant those ideas are. Oftentimes our smallest needs are the most significant, so it's difficult to say. But I do know you have needs that need to get met, and when you get those needs met in a healthy way, usually by helping other people get their needs met, then you achieve something I would liken to compassion. Now, you use your word. I think gratitude is a good word for it too, um, which is why I think a lot of people, as an aside, run around making gratitude lists and trying to be thankful for everything, trying to thank themselves into mental health. This is a cover. This is a cover for not really managing anger. I mean, and that's what would happen. That's what would happen in a culture, of course, that demonizes anger, but also says you need to be grateful. You would have a bunch of people deluding themselves that they're grateful when really they're not. And then they reach out to me, even though they've been doing all this work on themselves and they feel a sense of meaninglessness in their life. It's like, well, yeah, well, you have at least one half of your emotional life that you are completely ignoring. Your emotional life by dint of what you are as a human being. So that's the primary emotional payoff. Compassion, gratitude, same thing with, with uh, anxiety, right? You, you feel some kind of threat um, and maybe, right, the symptoms would be like any kind of OCD behavior, feelings of helplessness or victimhood or whininess, whatever you want to call it. Okay, well, that's a sign you need to confront that anxiety for what it is. And what you achieve from that is what I would say um, approximate to, again, like with compassion, I would approximate to it to confidence. So compassion and confidence, right? a very fatherly energy in confidence and a very motherly uh, energy, feminine, I don't mean effeminate, but feminine energy in, in compassion. And these are primary emotional payoffs. Uh, but what happens is, is there's also payoffs that we get for not managing our emotions, for shutting down, for taking our anger and stuffing it down or rationalizing it away or feeling anxiety and continuing to avoid that. We have secondary payoffs 
for being unable to manage these emotions. Now, why we would develop these most commonly, this isn't all the ways, but most commonly we develop them in childhood. That's why they, they just kind of stick to us like a, like a super glue. Like, like it's, it's often in science, it's like in every other Star Trek episode, that there's a, some kind of goo that, that somebody can't get out of in the, uh, the next generation, not the original series. There's some kind of goo that somebody can't get out of, like quicksand, you know, the harder you try to get out of it, the more it sucks you in. Uh, yes, we have these behaviors from childhood that just kind of uh, suck us in and it's because when we're children we need to rely on adults to function in a, in a healthy way psychologically with the world. And if we don't feel like we can communicate with adults, then what happens is, is we end up you know, stuffing down those emotions that don't go anywhere. We end up developing maladaptive behaviors to help us cope with the fact that we do not uh, manage reality in a healthy way. Because for whatever reason, I mean, our parents are, are out of touch or whoever our caregiver is, or we at least interpret that they're out of touch and they can't help us. It doesn't matter what's uh, philosophically, what's factually, what the truth is. This is psychological truth. All that matters is that you feel it to be true because that's how you are more likely going to act. Um, So, which is adaptive, I guess, when you're a kid, right? Because whatever, you're not smart enough to, get to really manage your psychology in the context of reality in a healthy way anyway. But these patterns stay with us in adulthood. And that pattern in adulthood looks very much like a 28-year-old guy, guy who says, I've never had a girlfriend, but I've always had the goal of having a girlfriend. Uh, no, you want your goal. If your goal was to get a girlfriend, it would be to get a girlfriend. You want your goal to be a girlfriend, but deep down, what you really want to do is protect yourself. Now, you know, you can't go around saying that. It's, it's, you, sometimes you can't even say it to yourself because it's so painful to admit what you've been doing the last five years of your life. Five years if you're lucky. I mean, I've seen you know, 25, 30, 40 years, you'll see guys going after the secondary payoff not knowing that that's what they really want. Um, so yeah, it's, it's this uh, protective state and that's what I think is going on here. You know, this is why people are content to just survive and not really live the life that they quote unquote want. What's really going on is they do live the life that they want. That's exactly what they're doing when, when your uncle, for instance, just kind of sits on his pile of money and doesn't use it. What he wants more than to feel safe or to live a good life or to be comfortable, I think you're saying. He is feeling comfortable. He, he's getting the comfort from sitting on a pile of money and not doing with it, anything with it. Right? That's, that's his comfort. So he doesn't need any more comfort. He doesn't need to maybe a better living arrangement or a live-in nurse or something because he would rather have the money that feels better to him right and um, you know payoffs can range some payoffs are relatively healthy you know like I think a, a relatively healthy payoff like you see it here you know reading uh, unfortunately this is my my only secondary emotional payoff but it's one of them and you see that in all the books that I have and you know I was able to do something uh, healthy or at least productive with my isolation some really unhealthy ones of course would be more like addictions do you really want friends and you want to be around people? Yes, but you would rather get the feeling that your addiction gives you. 
right? And the best way I can really describe that feeling, I guess I kind of skipped over this, but food, that's another powerful pack, you know, stuffing ourselves with food. And, you know, why do we have an obesity problem? It's because everybody's stuffing themselves with food and nobody really talks about it. Uh, and I think a feeling that likens you to a payoff in general, or just about like a mid-carter uh, healthy, or I should say unhealthy payoff, would be eat a sleeve of Oreos. Right? That feels good, right? Yeah, in a sense, it feels good, but it also, you know, you're going to feel like crap. And that's kind of what the payoff does, is it just puts you in this heightened emotional state that you're not, that, that you don't like. Right? You do not like that state, but you like it better. At least what you perceive, you like it better than what, how you perceive interacting with reality in a healthier way would be. Um, so that's, that's why we just want to survive rather than thrive. But, you know, I kind of sense what this listener is going through. And I would submit that, you know, another popular payoff and, you know, isolation, drugs, you know, a sleeve of Oreos, you know, binge watching Netflix. Another popular payoff is getting frustrated with other people. And the way that you're talking about these family members who don't pay attention to their grandkids or this family member, I'm sure that's frustrating. A family member who may have cancer and doesn't want to go to the doctor or your uncle, he clearly has the resources to... To, to get maybe something like a nurse to take better care of him, but he doesn't do it, that is frustrating. But something I would submit to you, dear listener, is that you being frustrated with other people is in fact your own payoff, right? That's another powerful payoff. That's another powerful compensation that we all do. Lord knows I do it. Hey, judging people, what's more fun than that? It's a powerful compensation for not engaging with reality in a healthy way. So I would submit to you that uh, you're not going to overcome this, yeah, this frustration in a sense with these people in your family until you realize that you do the exact same thing that they do, right? To be frustrated with others. Your family members are in their path, but to be frustrated with their behavior is your own path and it irritates you. I think the reason why it irritates you so much to the point where you're going to ask me a question about it is um, what they're doing is it makes you conscious of your own negative qualities. And that's painful to look at. So it's way easier to say they're the problem. How can people be that stupid when really the truth is and the way out of, right, your problem isn't the fact that your family members don't take care of yourself. The problem is to whatever extent you feel tied to your family members' bad decisions. And the way you get through that, of course, is, um, is by recognizing yourself and others. Now, I'm not saying that you are morally equivalent to maybe something that's terrible is going on in your family. I'm not, this, is, right, this is not philosophy, this is psychology. But what I am saying is that emotionally, what you do is the same thing as what your family members do that bother you. And the reason why you're reacting to it emotionally is because it's difficult for you to admit that. So part of admitting what's really going on, I would argue, and I'm not saying this is 100% true because obviously this isn't a client or anything, but generally speaking, your way through this frustration is to realize 
you're, what you're frustrated at is you think you're looking at your family when really you're looking into a mirror. And I would just submit to you guys, anybody who's going through this, who any time, you know, you, uh, it, you know, it's really easy to criticize others and, and say what you're going through, what they're going through is wrong. And, you know, what makes it extra learning, of course, that I always bring up is the fact that I'm sure your criticisms of your family are correct. The factual based criticism of the family is 100% correct, which makes it feel even more real, which makes you feel even more right, even though, yeah, you can be right about the facts, but wrong in general to criticize because, again, your only way through this issue is to really see it in yourself. And this is why I push group therapy so much. I know it's this weird thing that nobody wants to do. You know, but women don't even want to do it, but especially men. But especially women, but especially men, okay. That not even women want to do typically. And that is go to a group and talk about what's going on with other people. And the point of that is in part to talk about what's going on and getting more comfortable being honest and open up about simply at first the facts of your life. But the real, uh, I, I think the, the treasure in, in group therapy and talking to people and being open is you begin to identify with others and it's way easier easier to see yourself in somebody else first and then take that projection back and go, oh wow, that's me. Somebody can be talking and it could be somebody who on the surface, the, the surface level of their story is completely different than yours, yet you feel this drawn into their story because there's something emotionally true to what they're saying that you can identify with. And then you, you look at their story and say, wow, that's that's very similar to what I'm going through and it just kind of alleviates the pain. It, it makes the it makes the increase of awareness inherently painful, like I said earlier. It makes the increase of awareness a lot easier to take. And I know it's strange. Um, you know, it's very similar. I was thinking about this the other day. It's very similar to eating liver. A lot of people, they just don't like liver. They think it's strange. Yet, it's interesting. You go to indigenous or primitive tribes um, and that's, you know, one of the most prized organs. And all the lean meat, all, all the meat that we think is tastes the best, that's what they would give to uh, the dogs. So, and of course, the liver is really nutritious. It provides all these vitamins. It does all this great stuff for you. So I would submit that objectively, you like liver more than you would a ribeye or a filet mignon or something. You like liver more, but it, it, you're conditioned in a sense. You are conditioned to not like it. And I think that's the same thing with group therapy. I think this is how we're supposed to interact with people. Well, I don't know how every group therapy is run, but at least the way that I run group therapy is how we're supposed to interact with people. And through our interactions with other people in a more honest and open way, we become more aware of ourselves and with awareness the change happens pretty much automatically, especially if you incorporate my ideas. The change happens essentially on its own. Uh, and, you know, that's what we can uh, do here is like do, do the therapy version of liver. Yeah, I know it seems weird and it, it may not taste good and I get it. You're right. You know, from your perspective right now, it's, it doesn't taste good. But I can also look at what your body needs. Objectively, I, I can look at the micronutrients and macronutrients of what your body needs and I, and I can, you know, get references from other indigenous tribes and go, I, I think you do like this. But you're so programmed to not like it 
that you don't like it anymore. Uh, and I think the same is true for therapy right now. Again, you know, there's a lot of therapists out there who, uh, who carry out their practice in a way that is not conducive with their, with your nature. You know, they give you a, like a broccoli smoothie and it's nice. And I guess it's better than eating uh, Carl's Jr. But is it really what your body craves? I'm not trying to advocate for any diet here. This, it, it's just the, the metaphor, uh, carries with any kind of diet that you want to put in in the place of, of the diet that I used. Um, so I get it. It's strange, but it may be what your body, what your psyche needs. Okay? Like we break down your body, uh, look at ex exactly what you need, but look at the micros and macros that you need. We can do the same thing with your psychology. The only difference is no other therapist has ever done that with your psychology. I have. And that's why I can take you through this this uh, process of change and growth of ever increasing awareness in at least a more uh, methodical way. We at least can boil it down to main principles that you need to focus on no matter what, if you're going to change and grow, everybody who changes and grows incorporates these principles, whether they know it or not, they usually don't know it. Uh, but anyways, that's what we can work on here. We do uh, free consultations, animusempire.com slash schedule. Thank you guys, and always remember that when you're frustrated with another person, the person who you are most likely frustrated with is yourself.